0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On, uh, or Fizzo, as it has been very affectionately known. My name is Angus Morton, uh, and as always, I'm here with Bobby Julik. but not as always. I'm actually sitting here with Bobby Julik at uh, Pace Ranch in Tucson, Arizona. Um, for anybody who's been following the pod, I, uh, since it began, I've been, uh, had a little issue getting back to the USA, but I'm, I'm here now. Bobby. Very good to see you in person for the first time.
1: Gosh, you look like a million bucks, too. (laughs) When you walked down the driveway, I was just like, yeah, boy, here we are. (laughs) been wondering what he looks like. You know, normally you're doing this when it's like 3 o'clock in the morning or 6 o'clock in the morning or after a big night out. And now now we're here um, at this fantastic area of Tucson, Arizona, Pace Ranch. So thanks for coming all the way from Australia and finally getting your visa sorted, man.
0: Bobby, it's a pleasure, mate. Uh, it's good to be back and uh, good to be with everyone. We have uh, Nicola here as well, uh, who's been a regular guest of the show. How are you doing, Nicola?
2: I'm very well, thank you. Nice to see you both.
0: Yeah, it's great to uh, it's great to have the crew all in the one room. Let's start the show. It's been a while since, like, last time we were together, or last time we, we had a show was the Tour de France preview uh, for 2020. Since then, um, the season's finished all the riders have kind of gone their own separate ways. Things have quietened down, a few kind of big things in the news. But I guess the first thing I want to talk or find out about Bobby is, like, what happens at this time of year? What are, What is everyone doing? Um, you, we hear about the off-season. You know, I know what I used to do in the off-season. And I kind of, you know, you have an idea of what a lot of people do. Everyone thinks they go crazy. You know, they put on 10 kilos. They live a regular life. What, what what's 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 important about this time of year and what's this sort of part of the season look like
1: yeah it's it's a pretty special time of year because you know it's kind of letting the dog off the leash a little bit you know all of a sudden they don't have that structure in their lives and they deserve it you know they need to decompress a little bit um so after that last race of the year you know all of a sudden, they're, they're planning some vacation somewhere. They've had that on the books for a while. But the one thing that kind of jumps up and kind of delays those plans sometimes is all of a sudden that ad hoc decision to have like an informational three-day camp for new riders joining a new team. And I always hated that because as soon as the season was over, I just wanted to get back to America because I hadn't been there in so long. And then all of a sudden you have to like delay or you have to come back just for like a three-day informational camp. Not to say that those aren't worthwhile, but it is always like – that's the first question you ask is when you're planning your your vacation or your time off with your your wife and your kids is you call up the the GM of the team and say are we going to have that crazy two or three day get together and a lot of teams do that and they've done that but then after that man guys are jetting all over the place and and just you know relaxing a little bit um, there's certain guys that maybe stop the season a little bit earlier than the others so they're you know, maybe thinking about getting back into training or they're already looking at their diet. So I always found that those little kind of pre camps right after the season were, you know, people were on different wavelengths and they talk about like team building and get to know and get the vibe. But everyone's so tired that when they go to those things, it's kind of like, you know, just punching the clock. It's not really, you know, committing to it. Um, But then, yeah, they go off to these places, relax, eat some things that they probably didn't allow themselves to eat. Um, And then there's also those guys that take it as like, you know, I'm going to go and do, you know, a major detox, a major, you know, health kick thing, try something new go for walks, you know, be super healthy, which I, 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 that wasn't me. You know, I'd come back and it was like American football season. So I was eating nachos and hamburgers and drinking beer and staying up late and watching, watching football games, not even thinking about touching my bike. But uh, yeah, all these things start to trickle in. I mean, it's almost like a timer and here we are November 7th. So there's, there's a certain number of guys that have probably started training already like November 1st was always kind of like that first soft date for the guys that didn't do the Vuelta that didn't go all the way through Lombardia you know they took some time off November 1st is kind of like that that period where they're looking at like you know I got to get back on a schedule and then the second comes the third comes and maybe by the 5th they're finally training again so it is a real weird kind of transition from bookending one season and starting another one and I think it's super super important I always tell you know the, the athletes that I worked with and my current clients like you got a bookend you got to take some time off you got to reset you got to get a new totally different perspective otherwise you know the seasons are going to blend together and that's not the best best situation
0: and that's I was just going to ask you a question about that um, because there is that temptation for the guys who didn't do so well guys who you know, maybe wanted to get a stage at the at the World Tour, wanted to do well at, at the uh at the World Championships, Lombardia, and didn't. There's that temptation to cut your break short by a week or cut your break short by two weeks or, you know, kind of just not like have a soft break and, and, and keep training through because you're obviously motivated by your lack of condition or can be. What I wanna know like the physiology of like what goes on in a break. Like why is it actually important? Because, you know, I've had it drilled into me over the years always you know, like you're going to improve as a result of having a break. And I was always one of those people who would cut it short. Um, what goes on like physiology? Why is that so important? Is it, is it a mental thing that then transfers to a physical thing?
1: I I think it's much more of a mental thing for sure. Um, this is a long season and the season keeps getting longer and longer and longer. And, um, you know, you can't just keep whipping a dead horse Mm. and, you know, if, you're, if you finish the season kind of on your knees and then only take you know an abbreviated transition period or break period, um, you're kind of shortening yourself because then you're starting off with those same kind of patterns, those same kind of mental images of maybe failure instead of resetting and starting from zero. That, that's one of my favorite uh, sayings is like, reset the dials, put the dials back at zero. In order to do that, it could take two weeks, it could take three weeks. It could take a month. And I always kind of set these soft targets as like, this is where we want to start thinking about getting back into yeah. it. But if you're not there yet, I have no problem with extending it another couple of days, another week. You know, yeah, if a guy's taking advantage of it and it's five (laughs) weeks later and he's gained 10 kilos, that's an issue. But, um, no, I think it's much more mental than physiological. You need to kind of step away, reassess, change some habits, because, like, you know, habits are dangerous. You know, you, you get into good habits and it's great. Bad habits kind of almost get cloaked as good habits, until you step away and say, what the heck was I doing? That was the worst thing I could possibly do for myself. So, yeah, taking a very solid break period, yeah, which many people are doing slow. right now. Um, I would say, like I, like I said earlier, November 1st for the guys that started their, stopped their season really early, November 15th for the guys kind of like in the middle that are kind of itching to get back at it. But, like, yeah, you've you got to be training by December first no matter who you are so a lot of those guys that are starting on november 1st or november 15th those are the guys that are going to be targeting the tour down under you know the early spring classics where they're in a position in the team where they know they're going to be working for a leader later on so like you know try to try to get something from the for, for themselves in the in the beginning of the season um but yeah there's there's no there's no magic number it's got to come from you it's just like when you're coming back from sickness or from injury um you know guys get sick 3 days you know antibiotics they're in bed you know the next day they say okay i'm good enough i want to train i'm like no take one more day and then call me and let's let's see where we go from there if you still feel good let's train but a lot of the times it's like that mental clock that keeps ticking that is 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 not reality and um once you give them that option of saying, no, your body has to tell you when it's time to go again. Then all of a sudden, you know, they make a better decision and they come back from that sickness or injury or break period earlier.
0: And then talking about coming back, like, right, you know, it's December 1st, you got to start again. Um, I guess it's the same way, like, guys get fitter or, or, you know, people get fitter um, at different rates. Is there, like, a sort of, like, you know, are you sort of, like, wanting... you athletes to have six weeks or eight weeks prior to a race or before that you know like does it take a certain while to get back to a to a level how much d training goes on
1: i, I think a, a lot of d training goes on but you this is the time of the year that you want to work on your weaknesses and um during the season a lot of guys don't have the energy to get into the gym to work on their core to work on you know getting more muscle in their legs or the, their lower back which is going to power them during the season. So I'm not saying, you know, sit on your couch and absolutely do nothing, you know, find those activities that are relaxing to you, but still kind of active. And those guys seem to come back a lot quicker because if you just sit on your couch and I don't know, I don't know what kids do it these days, play PlayStation or, you know, whatever it is. For, They've been for, doing that for like 20 years, for, man.
0: <laughs> PlayStation's been around for ages. Well,
1: that's you can tell I that anything. I never I just, had one. so I, I don't have to call you on that. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and sitting there eating Toblerones and chips and drinking Coke all the Snapchat. time. Um, what's that? That's, that's,
0: that's what kids use. <laughs> yeah, I get that
1: from my kids all the time. But, um, yeah, you know, keeping those healthy habits, I think, is important. The, the big thing on, on riders' minds is, is gaining weight. Yeah. And um, it, it's the time to relax a little bit, but you don't want to go too far off the rails. But if you did the Vuelta, if you raced all the way to, to Lombardia, you don't have to train as hard as those guys that stopped after the tour. Those yeah. guys that stopped after the tour, dang, you know, <laughs> that's a long off-season of training, let me tell you.
0: Yeah, you get tired quick. And then, like, um, and, and I want to talk to you about this as well, Nicola, being, like, I know with the men's teams, like, I'm talking to, to Lockie, my brother, and he's, like, has a training camp in December, hmm. uh, like a week-long training camp. That seems early. Like, is that normal? Was that always been yes, that way? Yes, absolutely. Um,
1: I, I think it was the way of teams keeping an eye on you yeah, got you. Um, making sure that you don't go totally off the rails. Because remember, back in the days, these guys would show up to Paris Nice, which is in March, with hairy legs and like 10 kilos overweight and kind of ride themselves into the season. <laughs> now, you know, you got to start pretty much full gas to keep up with the peloton because there's, you know, guys have more knowledge about what they're doing. They yeah. have more knowledge about their training, about their recovery, about their nutrition, and guys are hungry. So you can't let yourself go off the rails too far. And I think this was always that time where, hey, we're going to get you your new bike and we're going to, you know, kind of get you into like the training philosophy of the team and, you know, kind of just make sure that everything's kind of set because obviously between Christmas and New Year's that's another kind of mini break, right? So give them a break. Let's let's have a training camp. Let's make sure that everything's kind of set moving forward. You know, you got all the, the gear and whatnot. And um, it's kind of funny that, you know, you go to these training camps and you can't even ride your – your new bike or your new clothing like this, why, did that, UCI, so dumb? <laughs> why did the why did why is this such a thing i remember it being so stressful i'm like okay i'm at training camp in december but i'm still riding my old crap from Dude, your the old year team's before
0: paying your wage for you to ride for the new team right isn't and, why did oh, it's absurd and
1: and honestly you know don't want to get too too much into this but like why do we have these january through december contracts why don't we have january through november every year yeah
0: or november through november
1: or november through
0: november exactly Yeah, just shift the year because
1: like it's so odd like all the guys are trying out their new, so you know, their <laughs> new bikes their new kit oh yeah this is great and then you have to until like, january no photos, no photos. 1st you know at you know the next day january 1st you wake up and you finally get to put on your new kit you finally get to ride your new bike but you know what you got to race in three weeks how are you going to yeah, get used to your race. new bike, your new position? Do all this stuff if you can't be seen out there doing yeah. that. Teams have re- relaxed that a little bit, yeah, but yeah. at the same time, I remember, you know, I, I I was switching teams. I won't say from which to which, <laughs> and I was not happy at all with the bike, and I was just itching to get my new bike. And it just sat there. It just sat there because I'm like, man, you never know because, like, my December paycheck hasn't been paid yet. And, like, (laughs) they – you know, somebody back then, they didn't have cell phones and they couldn't, like, get you out on, you know, Instagram it. But it was always that fear that there would be somebody from the team having a vacation in your hometown, you know, see you you riding your bike and then keep your December paycheck because you violated the contract. (laughs) So, yeah, there we go. Like, here we are in Fizzo saying – UCI, let's change the rules. November to November, make life a hell of exactly. a lot easier for a lot yeah, of people.
0: Exactly. Why not, Nicole? I wanted to ask you: Is it the same in the women's peloton? The teams starting with training camps in December. When, like, the season obviously starts similar time. I know in Australia, certainly they have the nationals and uh, and the and the um, Bay Criets and that are all like first or second of January. Are you guys having a camp in December?
2: No, we're not. No. Um, with fifty uh, percent of our team uh, dual discipline, they're busy racing World Cups right okay. now. So there, it's you know a very carefully crafted um, season, a cr- carefully crafted road season, so we can just launch these girls into the World Cup track season. Okay. And so there is no real break. We um, definitely uh, will schedule mini breaks. And uh, right now, you know, they just had the first World Cup in Minst, Minsk, Minsk, Minsk. <laughs> <laughs> <And>, uh, <laughs> don't, don't ask Bobby yeah. myself how to pronounce that. Yeah, it's yeah. And um, you know, Jennifer Valente, uh, she got a gold medal. Chloe did in the team pursuit. The team pursuit girls. Did get a gold medal in the first World Cup. Amazing. Um, Yeah. Less than a year to the Olympics. Yeah. So Emma White really stepped up and uh, they're looking pretty good right now heading to Tokyo. But yeah, it's it's really challenging with a dual-discipline athlete to schedule the season, as you can Uh, imagine. Yeah.
0: So they just go – so how do you do – what's a mini-break look like?
2: Um, Well, Chloe right now, she came off of her World Championship fitness and – race the first World Cup, and now she's taking a break for a couple of weeks. Uh, Then she'll uh, start doing some base miles. We're trying to get at least seven weeks of base miles in her before she does her next uh, World Cup, which is in January. Uh, Jennifer Valente, she'll race the next two World Cups. So her schedule's a little bit different. She'll take a little bit of a break after World Championships before she goes into the road season.
0: Got you and, and is the, she going to the Olympic Games as well? Yeah, yeah, she'll
2: be she's part of the team pursuit team yep. and she just got her uh first World Cup Omnium gold. So, oh, wow. so she could be she's really, well. yeah, I think that you know she's looking really good for Tokyo as well. And then we've got the Canadian girls who uh they have a new coach uh who's from New Zealand, so they're spending three months in New Zealand. Got you, yeah,
0: so it's Okay, that sounds like an absolute nightmare. And I guess it's coming into an <laughs> Olympic year as well. Trying yeah. to manage that yeah. mental fatigue. How do you like, do you have assistance from the Olympic team or like the Olympic in terms of how you are able to manage that condition? Because I feel like you would need a lot of resources in terms of um, yeah. just caring for the athletes.
2: Yeah, I think uh well for Chloe, Kristen and I and Gary Sutton have talked about Chloe's schedule for months and months and months at this point. And so we've scheduled um, that out pretty perfectly for next year. So we know exactly what she's doing, exactly what road races, when her breaks are. Um, ben Sharp works with Jen Valente, again, talking to Sato and figuring out that perfect schedule for her. It's already been done uh, months ago, basically. So, And then the Canadians uh, just working with Matt and, and figuring all that out. I mean, it is really challenging, but you know, some of the girls we won't see next year from the Canadian team, maybe for one road race, but uh, others more. So, yeah.
1: So outside of those girls that are obviously, you know, around the track, um, how do you keep in contact with them is it is it a daily text? Is it a weekly text? Is it just like saying, hey, you know, it's time to get going again? So if you don't have a training camp, how do you keep tabs on these
2: young ladies? Uh, we talk. We talk a lot, WhatsApp all the time. I mean, I think we're in constant communication. And then one of the other really useful tools is our weekly Zwift ride, actually, because uh, we have most of the team or at least half of the team, the road team, uh, participate on our Road to Tokyo ride, which is Every Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific um, on Swift, so it's actually really a useful tool for constant communication with the athletes. Yeah, I
1: got to witness that today. Gus um, Nicola was out in the garage doing it, and she was dropping the hammer. She was kind of was. Like pushing, <laughs> I was, I she was, was. pushing <laughs> the fence a little bit, you know. Swift <laughs> has the you know the fence technology, and it kept saying, "You need to go back to the group." And I was like, "Okay, Nicola."
0: Really? Had a good night of sleep last
1: night. She was super motivated. You know, maybe it was my presence, you know, making her a little bit nervous, but she did great.
0: I noticed, I noticed she did say it's a recovery ride. And uh, so she's just it, gone out and attacked the girls on the recovery ride and get them pretty, where they're, pretty much, they're no, all yeah, it. Pretty much. It, 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 it was, was, weird. All the it was weird. weird. It was definitely weird. It
2: is a recovery social ride. And yes, I went through the fence a few times this morning.
0: It seems like a brilliant idea, actually. Though. The fence? No, no, no. no <laughs> I just mean like organising a group. Like a community ride for a team. Yeah, um, absolutely. Now that I think about it, like if you just touch in once a week, it's a pretty easy way to just like... Mm-hmm.
2: And it builds your fan base. Smart, um, we yeah, a, yeah, of we course. We have a global Huge base that joins us. You know, sometimes it's up to almost 300 people that ride with us. Today it was really? 165, Yeah.
0: Imagine a peloton of hundred and sixty five well, you don't have to imagine that'd be like the Tour de France riding down a public road,
2: yeah, that's pretty sick, I yeah, and know, it, they stay together as a group too with the the fence technology because nobody can take off. I mean if they're gone, <laughs> if they go through the fence, they've got about fifty seconds to get back in the group, otherwise they're oh, you gone yeah they're gone, <laughs> so, Sorry, so it's it's mass, yeah, it's great. Because, I mean, we did the first ride without the fence and it was terrible. God, I mean, everybody just took off, like, you know, that crazy Zwift start. And, uh, yeah.
1: So maybe Fizzo's should come up with a Do group ride. We should have a group uh, ride group ride. But Definitely. I think ours would be absolutely. Uh, one watt per kilo and yeah. less.
0: You know, like, you know, just, just the hey. The fence is hard. It's a hard fence rule. Yeah, hard
1: fence. Hard if fence you hit the fence, rule. you're out.
0: There's no one on the fence. You're, yeah. out. you're, out. you're either in or you're out. Let's talk about... Um, there's been some huge news obviously um kind of we've been discussing um over the last few weeks and that's the cancellation of the tour of california um gutting for american cycling gutting for global cycling both men's and women's um i wanted to kind of like bobby you've you know uh been around since the race began like what does this mean for american cycling um and then nicola for the women's side as well um because it seems like it could be dev- it could, seems like it could be devastating
1: yeah, I mean obviously it 's not great news when you see a race stop, and the course classic stopped, and there was a big void there. Then they started the the Tour de Trump, which turned into the Tour de Pont. I can't believe I just mentioned his name on the podcast, and, <laughs> and you started laughing. Uh, um, and that that stopped. And now you know we have the Tour of California stopping. I was there in two thousand and six for the first ever edition, and it was it was on all of our radars. Yeah. I mean, it was that motivator to get you on your bike by November fifteenth because you were going to be racing in the middle of February. And all the American riders took it super serious. And back then, it was it wasn't World Tour, but you had a lot of the teams, um, you know, U.S. Postal, uh, CSC, we were there, Um, you know, just the American teams that it it was kind of like the Tour de France before the Tour de France. And we were we were staying in we, – the, the host cities were like those marquee cities in California. We were staying at amazing hotels. I I remember even the first couple of years, they, they gave these gifts to each rider. And I think the first year was like a digital camera. <laughs> and when we're trying to promote this race to the Europeans because they're like, why do I want to go all the way over to California and time change and blah, 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 and that time of year, you know, and we'd say, yeah, but you get a free digital camera. Then the next year, I think it was like an, an iPod, like a mini iPod. And you, these guys were making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year coming to the race. And basically, after the team presentation, like, hey, where's my gift? Like, it was, it was kind of funny, right? Like, <laughs> dude, it's a $99 iPod. Like, it's not the, the end of the world. But they they really catered to us. And it was fantastic racing. And the crowds around were great. Um obviously that kind of fan base kind of peaked and every year it was a little bit different and you know european teams especially when they changed to to may i think it changed a lot about the race i remember the first time they changed it um one of the first years um, by my memory we started up in lake tahoe which was awesome and then we were out riding around the lake the day before, it's gorgeous, the next day it's snowing and they had to cancel yeah. the stage. And it was just these little like speed bumps that just happen seemed to happen every year that the you know the race couldn't totally overcome. But then once it became World Tour, it was like, oh man, this this is going to be an issue because that race was about showcasing the young exactly. American small teams that don't get a chance to kind of fly their flag over, over in Europe. And there was many, many riders that took advantage of that situation, signed pro contracts, and, and it was great. But once they went to World Tour, um, you had teams that didn't have the budget who maybe overreached just to qualify for the race, just to be in the race. Mm. And, you know, maybe they didn't have the results that they would have had if, if it was kind of like a little bit more down at their level. Because when these World Tour guys come over, um, especially in May, they're, they're getting ready for something. There's no one showing yeah. up there with hairy legs and, and 10 kilos overweight, that's for sure. Mm. Um, and then I think the biggest change was when ASO took over the race. That seemed to me that they beforehand, they were using American guys to design the courses and they knew what places to go to, what hotels to stay at, kind of like the scenic thing. Um, When ASO came in, I think they were just like a bean counter saying, let's get from point A to point B as quick as we can. And, you know, I remember driving the car um, because by that time I wasn't racing anymore and you were going through these places that there there was no one. There wasn't even like a head of cattle out there. Hmm. You're like, what are we doing? You didn't have cell phone reception. Like if you went too far, you couldn't even talk to each other on the radios. <laughs> so um, I think it was a gradual process after a big introduction. And sadly enough, you know, here we are with, with nothing again. And, you know, just this last year, you know, we started Fizzo, as a as a trial during the tour during of California. And I remember one of the best things that happened was they actually implemented a, a national team race. So yeah. a lot of teams couldn't get in because they didn't they weren't pro-continental status, but we did have a group of national team guys, just like back in the Tour de Pont days when when guys myself and guys my age got to race against Greg Lamont, Laurent Fignon, Johnny Bugno, all these guys. They had that same experience. And I'm sure it meant a lot to them.
0: And they rode well too. And they like rode, they rode super really well. well. Like in the break every day, they had the jersey for a number of days in the polkadot jersey or sprint jersey. But yeah, they super. Like they rode really well, exactly.
1: And 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 um, did that? Would that have been like the stepping stone to having maybe two national teams mm-hmm. in in the race? And instead, here we are with with no nothing. race. Yeah. And and I find that 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 very very sad. But you know, this is a a, a sport where we. Struggle to get sponsorships, mm-hmm. I think you know uh, you know right off the bat, I would like to say a big thank you to the organization, yeah. the host cities, the sponsors that made this last i think what thirteen fourteen years we we had those additions yep. and um without them. You know who knows? We would have not had any race over here in America. Now we're going to have to see fill that void with something, and that's you know maybe another podcast where we can talk about that a little bit later on. Yeah. But just homage to the race that started in 2006, um, Americans dominated for the first five or six years. Uh, this was Levi Leipheimer's basically home race, and he just schooled everybody every year. It was pretty impressive um then michael rogers finally broke that yeah. that in uh i think that was in 2010 then you started to see like a more influx of those european guys that started taking this not only as just a vacation in february but like in may coming over here and actually you know riding riding Quite strongly, you had Gesink in in 2012. TJ Van Garderen, you know, one of the the highlights I think of of his career, you know, winning a race like the Tour of, Amgen Tour of California at his age, kind of like sprung was a springboard to the to the European scene. Uh, Sir Bradley Wiggins won the the next year after winning the Tour de France the year before, um, and then we got into that th- those European guys that are household names now. Mm. Um, Peter Sagan, like winning the overall. I mean, he was already a household name, but I mean, him winning the overall in 2015. Are you kidding me? Like that was that was super impressive. And then the list is just like a hall of fame of, you know, basically the Tour de France right now. In 2016, we had Alaphilippe. 2017, we had George Bennett. 18, the guy who won the Tour de France this year, Egon Bernal. And then this year, 2019, we had Tajay Hogachar. And I think I got that right after <laughs> a h- thousand good. times saying it wrong. Sounds right. These are the marquee names. They came to California. Yeah. And it's just a shame that we don't have that anymore.
0: And it's the future, like all those names um, that you mentioned, they were all kicking off. Like this was that race. Or I mean, obviously Brad Wiggins, uh, an outlier there, and and, and Leipiner, of course, but like in the recent years, they like then kicked on to do exceptional things. Like Sagan went and won the, the Rainbow Jersey three times in a row after that. Pogachar third at the uh at the Vuelta, um Philippe, everyone knows what he's gone and done. He's won classics and, and nearly won the Tour de France. So it is a real shame. And I feel like like I feel like this race, um, you know, as you said, going world tour, it definitely changed things uh, on the domestic scene, and that was a really big shame. But but something that it was doing really well, Nicola, was mm. it was advancing women's cycling. And we spoke with you at the end of the race this year, and you know, like, there's a lot of excitement around it. What does this mean for women's cycling, and particularly for for your team, because you guys aren't a European-based team?
2: Yeah, well, um, you know, when the I was living in Northern California when the Amgen Tour of California first started, and I was out there being a fan and you know watching the guys race and. I was very instrumental in just pushing for a women's edition, and even though it was a criterium to start with, at least it was something because I recognized that it was such a huge media machine, mm. and that is exactly what we needed just to cultivate sponsorship in women's cycling. So after the first year of the criterium, it you know it eventually turned into an invitational time trial, and Kristen Klein from AEG was just very pivotal in making sure that a women's edition was added every single year. And then that progressed into the stage race. Um, you know, it was it was an opportunity for the North American teams and the South American teams to actually show up and race against the Europeans on home turf. Uh, the The rhythm of racing is very different in North America. The roads are different. Uh, the climbs are different, everything's different. And for once, the North American teams had an advantage. And it really showed um, just the the athletes that were comfortable racing on the, the type of roads and, and this type of rhythm of racing. And it really launched a lot of athletes onto European teams. I mean, take Katie Hall, for example. Uh, you know, she ended up on Bowles Dolmans And we need those races like the Tour of California with those um, really uh, great climbs like uh, the Big Bear Climb, for example. I mean, you know, Katie Hall had a great race up there and uh, it's otherwise, you know, the European teams aren't seeing what talent is coming out in North America. So for us, what does it mean? Um, really, it's, you know... As far as being a UCI team in North America, that was really the only race that we had to be UCI for because as an elite team, you could take place uh, take take part in all of the other UCI teams in North America. So to be honest, um, especially with the Olympic year in 2020, I'm considering not being a UCI team. Um, I, there's no reason for me to pay the fees. Um, it's the only race that I needed to have a UCI license to get into. I mean, the the athletes will still have UCI licenses, but to register as a UCI team seems a little bit redundant at this point. Um, You know, perhaps there's just cachet that goes along with saying you're a UCI team in North America, but the benefits aren't there. I mean, it's, it's almost like the UCI is irrelevant for North American racing at this point.
0: And I feel that <clears throat> to to that point, like, I mean, you know, I, I guess probably a lot of people know my opinion on this, but I feel like the UCI is a little bit irrelevant outside of Europe. Like, I know they pushed the Asia Tour, but, like, in Australia, we don't, you know, like, we, we, we have the Tour Down Under that's World Tour. But, like, I'm sorry, the same thing happened in Australia that happened in America when, when Tour of California went World Tour and, and and that was that all the domestic teams disappeared because for their sponsors, that one race, the coverage of that race... And the potential to get into that race was the value that the value for the sponsors. Everything else was superfluous to that, so that allowed them to run a full program and allowed a bunch of other races in the country to exist yes and it seemed to be like when that happened, it all disappeared you know like and, and it was the same in Australia. there's barely any teams in Australia. The teams that are in Australia they're all racing in Asia. Is that what we're going to see here now? is like are you going to be potentially forced as a result of losing this to send a team to Europe? or to send a team to Asia in order to survive? Is that like... Or 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 do you think that you can do do what you said, just eschew the UCI and, and do it your own way and, and, and do here? Because, I mean, yeah. you're obviously quite good at what you're doing. Yeah. Your program is working.
2: Yeah, I think my program is a little bit unique. Um, I think that, you know, we're we're a very focused program and with the athletes that we have... On the team, our goal is Tokyo, mm-hmm. um, as it was Rio, as it was London. And we don't necessarily need the European racing to get to our goals, which, mm-hmm. you know, we've proved that with, with Chloe. Yeah. Uh, for example, if Chloe after this year, after 2020, says, hey, I want to do some Spring Classics, then yes, we'd be UCI again. But for right now, it doesn't, it doesn't affect us. It's not necessary. We're not travelling overseas um it cost me a whole lot less money to not be UCI um i don't have to have what's really interesting is and i don't know if everybody knows this but you have to provide all of your sponsor contracts right now for 2020 and you know as a registering as an elite team you don't need to do that mm. so you can actually go out and cultivate new partners uh, in December, in January. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot different. It's a lot more relaxed, but we'll still have our athletes, you know, with the same contracts that they've already signed. And I've spoken to them and it, it doesn't matter either way to them, yeah. whether I'm UCI or not.
1: I'm a little bit concerned, not only obviously we know that the Amgen Torrey California is no more, but the trickle-down effect to the other races, because, like, there always used to be a bigger draw to these races because you needed to race before Tour California, especially as a domestic team. Um, Joe Martin comes to, to mind. Redlands comes to mind. It was kind of like a tick, 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 and then build up for, for the Tour of California. So I'm just wondering and a little bit nervous about that trickle-down effect not only for the men but also for the women are these races going to be there um, are you know were they drafting off the Tory of California a little bit
2: I think those races are well established and you know every year you hear them uh, have their struggles as well with sponsorship but there's you know the race promoters in North America are, it's it's a passion driven endeavor. Let's face it; they're not making money, and um, you know, it, I have a lot of respect for those those individuals that run those races. But I th- I still think I mean they're a huge part of our schedule. I mean even even more so. You know, it's uh, we definitely will be showing up to win those races next year, as will the rest of the North American teams, and South American teams are starting to come up to participate, especially in the women's peloton at least. Uh, Joe Martin and Gila and Redlands
1: yeah I'm a firm believer in when a, one door closes, another one opens. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that will be the reverse effect and those races will be even more prestigious and people will take them even more seriously and will even have bigger fields.
2: Yeah. And then you've got the Colorado Classic, which really stepped up for women uh, this year and they're continuing next year as well. So, you know, that will be a big target race for us uh, in 2020. That will be after the Olympics.
1: Yeah. So we know, we know that one race is, is, is gone. And, you know, obviously that's going to hurt American cycling, but we always have to look for the alternative. Like where, where do we go from here? Um, Why isn't it working? But number one is it's America. You know, we're a huge country. Europe is is quite quite small. I mean, France is the size of Texas, for goodness sake. You know, mm-hmm. not even to mention Belgium and Holland and Luxembourg. Um, what what can we do to get more participation in in these events? I know there's a lot of great programs going on out there. NECA, for example, you know, the National <coughs> Interscholastic Cycling Association. These there's 31 leagues in in 31 states. Um, tens of thousands of these kids racing on mountain bikes what do we do when they graduate high school
0: here's the thing Bobby like there's obviously no shortage of talent in America like if we look at the world championships as a result you know like the US dominated you look at the NICA program 31,000 students participating in, in a series of on their bikes in a series of races like that's a that's like not an insignificant number. I I I would love to see the statistics of scholastic programs in other nations and find anything that's even close to that. Yeah. So like children are riding bikes. Like we there's good athletes here with you know, as I said, there's some disconnect that occurs and I think like if you look at Nike, it's a community, you know, like you're at school, um, there's competition but there's no money involved and it's about nurturing it's about exploring it's about getting you know like like part of the motivation to be good at that age is to win but it's to win to be able to go across the country to see what it looks like over there and to so i feel like there's the motivation for for is is kind of i think we've got it wrong in this in this in the in the like professional side of the sport, particularly here in, in in the US, in that we have to make it bigger, we have to make it harder, we have to bring more international teams. Like going back to you know the the Tour of California becoming a World Tour race, being owned by the ASO. Like, where like why would I? Why I mean I'm Australian, my adopted American, but like why am I going to care about that race when there's no competitive or hardly any competitive Americans in it? All the American teams that I like aren't allowed to race in it. So it becomes one of those things where it's like, wait, what is the point of sport? And and I feel like point the, the point of sport is to create community, to build up society, to make us better. And how do you do that? Well, you get behind the people that you know. You get behind people that you're familiar with. You know, you want a hometown hero. You want a champion, someone to champion. And I feel like these sports are getting so scattered. You know, you have... Um, an Australian team that's full of Brits, a British team that's full of Colombians. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how do we associate? How are we supposed to associate with these teams? Good point. And with, where's the lifeblood of this sport? And I feel like, like the schools get it because they have an affiliation with their school. They're racing along their school alongside their schoolmates against other schools, and there's a competition there. But but then it ends, and then they're like, oh, I've got new friends at this school, and I've seen something else in the world. So I feel like we've kind of lost. Sight of the point of sport, the point of what we're doing. Um, And I hope that what's happening is is that this institution that was is crumbling a little bit, and we're going to see from that rise all these new events, and we're seeing it. Dirty Cancer, GB Juro, these events that are different, that don't exist within the UCI infrastructure, they're non-professional, they're participatory and they're inclusive, and they build a community they're focused on like good uh, they focus on riding your bike and like competing for fun and just the challenge and the joy and the freedom that a, the bike brings and so i feel like you know that's where the future of this sport lies and that's certainly what i'm putting my now like my impetus behind is how can we Fix this. How can we rediscover what this sport is? Because it's legendary, it's beautiful, it's got so much to offer, and for some reason, less people are doing it. And there's no reason for that. So, sorry, there's no rational reason for that, and there must be something else going on. Um, so, I feel like, it, yeah, there's, there's, it lies in these new events. It lies in this new place. It lies in these kids in, the, in programs like NICA in in the American cycling program that's obviously developing good athletes and motivating them.
1: You can't tell me the sport of cycling is dead in America. No. I, I, I travel all around the country doing events like the Hincapie, Grand Fondo, exactly. Pelotonia, and, man, it's so great. And, like you said, it's a community. It's one of – that's why – having so many of these is so important. Mm -hmm. And when I see young kids get up there or women get up there, not just like the old guys like me that just like want to do it for fun. That's, that's inspirational, but we have to find a place for those young men and women to kind of like Attached to their dreams because this sport is massive. I mean, we got gravel, we got cyclocross, we got track, we got road, we got these grand Fondos, but like we need to get that into a little bit more organized structure Mm. so that when these kids graduate high school, they have somewhere to go one good thing is there's a lot of collegiate teams out there that no one knows about. Guys, if you're a senior in high school right now, apply to some of these colleges and ask if they have cycling scholarships. I bet you'd be surprised how many are out so there.
0: Get educated and get racing. It is the smartest thing you can do for sure. That is like – that's something that America has that no one – a lot of people don't talk about or at least like around the world don't know. And I think that like if you can get an education and race your bike at the same time, like you're, you're a set.
1: Yeah. But surrounding yourself with these people and, you know, educating yourself on, on training, nutrition, recovery. Um, it's, it's fantastic for the whole community. Um, I, see, I see families coming to these grand Fondos and they come up and they take pictures and, and they just are so happy to be there. And, you know, the, the gravel events, I didn't understand the whole gravel thing. But that brings together an entirely different group of people that maybe I never would have come into contact with. And just to set the record straight, um there was a little bit of fake news on <laughs> Velonews uh article the other day, that said that that Gus and myself are racing the hundred mile race uh, down 100 here. Miles. Yeah, I, I have to correct that right now so that people aren't like Not looking right. for the results. Uh, we're participating yeah, in a mass start event that happens to be on gravel, and I hope everyone's going to come out and enjoy that as much as we are. Um, but that's it, right? Like there's that blend of you know what? I'm not going to race this. It's not a race. I want to help the person next to me. If they're suffering or if they have a flat tire, you pull over and you help them. Like this is, this is community. And these events are, are special. And I'm blessed after retiring from the sport to get to go around to a lot of these. And each one is unique. But the bottom line is once we put on Lycra, we're all the same. Mm. And it's it's a it's a great ride, and you know, get out there and participate in these events. But let's find a way to give that conduit to those kids that are coming out of the NICA program into yeah. the professional ranks, so that they can chase their dreams. That luckily, my generation had, and a couple generations after that. But right now, it's it's kind of up in the air.
0: We we need to <laughs> and make and they can have up. a fan base too, like that people know that they're out there doing it. You know, if we look back to cycling in the 80s and there was American pros but like or before that maybe in the 70s and there was US pros there was Australian pros but like no one knew back home you know what I mean like like they might have been over there there might have been one or two but like nobody was paying attention back home and that's what is fearful because like you know there's obviously like I said or like you guys know amazing athletes coming out of the US they're going to go pro but like who's going to watch them like you know what I mean like where's their hometown support yeah. And that's then that's going to lead to the next generation not participating, and and um, and yeah. So I think, Nicola, what do you th- what do you think about for the women? Because I feel like you've been pushing for this for a long time, and then we'll, we'll wrap it up quickly. Yeah, we well,
2: up. well, just in one sentence, most of my athletes asked for gravel bikes for twenty twenty. So gotcha. we'll leave it at that.
0: There you go. That's great. Well, guys, thank you so much. It's fantastic to be in the same room or on the same balcony as you guys um, out here in Arizona. Uh, that's uh, Fizzo. You can contact us. Uh, I forget the name. <laughs> Superfan at Uh On Instagram, at that is Gus at Bobby Julik. Nicola, you have Instagram as well. At are?
2: Nicola Cranmo.
0: Exactly. Uh, yeah, reach out. Thank you guys for tuning in. Subscribe, all of that. Bobby, Nicola, thank you. Thank you, Thank you, Gus.
1: Thank you, Gus. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing everyone out there on the gravel this weekend. Um, don't check the results too hard <laughs> because we'll be pretty far down. But as always, don't forget to put your socks
0: on. Nice. Well, Lord, oh, what a feeling that burns down low When you ain't got nowhere to turn MAKES ME FEEL LIKE SOMETIMES I'M OUT OF CONTROL SO I'M GONNA GET WASTED